Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Montecito, California. And before I begin, I just remind you here real quick that this show has a website associated with it called wealthformula.com. Wealthformula.com is where you go if you want additional resources, you want to sign up for our various lists and you know clubs like the Accredited Investor Club, um, lots of opportunities there as well. So go check it out, wealthformula.com. Now, this week, I'm going to talk a little bit about asset protection. That's what this show's all about. You see, the, the two most common mistakes, I talk to a lot of new investors, and the most common mistakes I see relate to not thinking about asset protection and not thinking about estate planning. Now, not thinking about estate planning, eh, sort of understandable, although kind of sort of not. I mean, death is a topic that many try to avoid, right? So some are even superstitious that if they set up an estate plan, that it's going to trigger their demise somehow. So I can kind of understand, although not really, why that's an issue. But, you know, others just don't think about it at all. And then there's asset protection, right? That's the other thing. Oh, wait, before I get to asset protection, let me give you a little hint on the estate planning. We, we've done a bunch of shows on this. You should go back and listen. But at the very minimum, you're going to need uh, a trust. At the very least, you're going to need a will and a living trust. So that's the bare minimum. But you should go back and listen to that as well. Now, asset protection is a little bit different I think, you know, ultimately people just don't have an idea that they need it, especially doctors that spend so much of their life broke as students that, you know, there was nothing to go after in the first place. Uh, and so they never have to think about it. And all of a sudden they start making some money. And once you start making some money and once you start investing, regardless of what you invest in, you know, you've got to do something when it comes to asset protection. Now, let me explain why. Now, as a real estate owner, I mean, real estate is great in many ways, but if you're owning real estate on your own, let's say you've got uh, an apartment building or, you know, duplex or whatever you're renting out, you've got two enemies to defend against. I mean, the first one is the tenant who slips and falls. The second is the guy with the broken bones your kid may have hit driving your new car with your friends. You know, either one would love to get at something valuable that you own in retribution and probably a little greed. That's where asset protection comes in. And here's the thing. If you set up good asset protection from the beginning, 
the irony of it all is that you may not get sued at all in the first place. A lot of this legal stuff is optics, right? It's a, the more I've been in, in this world, the more I realize that the whole legal system is optics. I mean, it's kind of crazy to me, but uh, that's the way it works. It's not about who's right and who's wrong. Sometimes it's about who's got more money. And if there's a lawsuit or not, depends on a lot of whether or not somebody has any assets that are actually at risk. In other words, if you put up a lot of walls and traps in your asset protection, you're less likely to get sued in the first place because your estate will start looking a little bit like a turnip uh, to any attorney working on contingency, that is. And that's what you want. You want you want to not look like you're an easy, juicy target. You just want to wanna look like a, a big mess. And these guys in contingency, these lawyers, you know, they're basically out there looking for a piece of the pie. But well, if there's no pie or if that pie is going to take an inordinate amount of time to get through and potentially not get through, they're not going to take the case. So that's something else to consider. Now, asset protection can be fairly simple, but it does need to be done right. And so therefore, my guest on Wealth Formula podcast this week is Garrett Sutton. He's a guy who knows how to do this the right way. And he's also going to fill us in a little bit about investing in movies, which is kind of interesting as well. All of that once we come back from these messages. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession-resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is Garrett Sutton. He's a corporate attorney, asset protection expert, and best-selling author who's sold more than a million books to guide entrepreneurs and investors. Uh, he's the author of Scam Proof Your Assets, Real Estate Loopholes, Secrets of Successful Real Estate Investing, Own Your Own Corporation, and the latest, which is Veil Not Fail, which is something of interest, I think, to everyone on this particular program. Garrett, welcome back to Wealth Formula Podcast. Thanks, Buck. Thanks for having me. So asset protection uh, is kind of the the topic that I think I want to cover first. And I want to go really basic here. And, you know, for some people, and it's remarkable to me how many people don't think about asset protection, even people who are, you know, making hundreds of thousand dollars a year or maybe even, you know, a million plus. How does an asset protection 
plan aid an investor? Well, when you start out, you're going to put your money into a, a piece of real estate, for example. And, you know, that money is exposed. If, if you have a tenant that sues and the property is held in your individual name, they have a claim against you personally. And not only can, get, can they get the property, but they can get all of your other assets that are in your name. So we don't want that. We live in a litigious society. People sue each other all the time. So when you buy that first piece of real estate, you want to take title in the name of a limited liability company, an LLC. So if the tenant sues, they can get what's inside the LLC. That's their claim. But they can't get beyond the walls of the LLC uh, after your other personal assets. So asset protection is very important. Now, you know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, people didn't worry about this, but we have a litigious society now where attorneys can advertise, attorneys can collect 30 to 40% of what they uh, get in the courtroom or through a settlement. So there's an incentive out there for people to sue. And you and I, Buck, aren't gonna change that system. We just need to use the tools within the system to protect ourselves which is LLCs and corporations. Now, real estate um, is a major part of, you know, this show and the people who listen to this show, real estate investing. When you think about asset protection, if you could, could you sort of contrast, compare the types of asset uh, protection requirements that you might have for real estate versus, you know, other types of investments? Well, for real estate, certainly you are dealing with the public, you're renting to people, you you just need to be protected. And of course, I always recommend that people have insurance. That's your first line of defense. Um, and you also want to have a property that's habitable. I mean, you, you don't want to put out a property where someone's going to get injured. That's not what you want to do. So, uh, but Beyond that, beyond insurance and taking care of your properties, you need to have these limited liability companies on title to the real estate. So it's very important. Now, another type of asset would be uh, a brokerage account, right? Uh, stocks, bonds, crypto. Uh, you're not going to get sued by holding shares in Ford Motor Company, right? You're not going to, it's not like a tenant is going to sue you for that. But you could get in a car wreck. And in a car wreck, someone wants to go after your assets. And so you're better off having that brokerage account in an LLC in a strong state like Wyoming or Nevada, where someone after the car wreck is trying to sue you and they wanna get at your personal assets by having those brokerage assets in a separate LLC, mm -hmm. you're much better protected than having them in your individual name. So um, sometimes the way I, I kind of think about this as like a, you know, three bubbles right in a row with a, you know, like say, you know, your with you, your assets in the middle and it's being attacked from both ends. It's being attacked, um, you know, or you're, you're in the middle say, and your assets are being attacked by the people in real estate who might, you know, own it, trip and fall. But then there's also uh, the people who, your personal injury may result in some sort of litigation. So you're kind of taking, you're trying to protect from both ends when you own real estate uh, in some. However, a lot of people own real estate and limited partnerships. Now in that situation, the main danger there is obviously car crash and losing that type of uh, ownership. 
so in that case, would you, what do you typically recommend? Is it like a holding company LLC or something like that? Yeah. So, you know, limited partnership is fine for owning real estate. We just need to know that the general partner, if they're an individual, is personally liable for everything that happens within the limited partnership. So you need to set up a second entity, an LLC perhaps, to be the general partner. So the difference between the LP and the LLC is to be completely protected within the LP. You need two entities, one to be the limited partnership and one to be the general partner. With the LLC, everyone's protected. You just need one entity. But you're right, Buck, there are two types of attack. There's the inside attack where the tenant sues over a condition on the property. Then there's the outside attack where you get in a car wreck. It has nothing to do with the real estate, but they want to get at your assets. And so they're suing from the outside and that's where the Wyoming uh, LLC comes into play because it's very protective. Uh, the, the person suing you can only get the charging order, which is a lien on distributions. Uh, unlike the state of California, for example, with a, a California LLC, someone can pierce through and force a sale of the property. With Wyoming, the state of Wyoming goes, no, it doesn't work yeah. that way here. You've got to wait for distributions to be made. Right. And the attorney on a contingency fee doesn't want to wait around to, you know, monitor distributions. So you're much better off having mm-hmm. good insurance, an umbrella policy of insurance that the attorneys can get at, and then having these LLCs that the attorneys are not good at getting through. Um, so, you know, there's just a, a structure that we need to put into place because, again, we live in this litigious society. So you mentioned it a couple of times uh already in terms of uh, the good states to have LLCs. And one of the challenges I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I live in California, is that even if I have a Wyoming entity, I have to register in the state of California. At that point, I'm playing by their rules, right? Not necessarily. If we we have a system where we hold the uh, Wyoming certificate in the state of Wyoming. So someone's suing you in California, you know, they claim they have personal jurisdiction over you, but the actual certificate has been certificated in the state of Wyoming and Wyoming law applies at that point. So we do have strategies to deal with uh, the state of California. <laughs> we have to do more planning for California, Buck, than any other state yeah. or the IRS. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I, I, I That's something I didn't have not really found a solution to. Um you know, because I, and I, I have Wyoming, um, LLCs myself, uh, for the most part, all of them are Wyoming. And, um, but like when I buy property here in, in California, in the state of California, it just seems like everybody tells me, well, yeah, you could have it in that entity, but it's not going to help you. So, well, no, there are ways to do it, yeah. but if you hold title to real estate in California, you use a California LLC, that's where you're doing business. Right. Then you have that California LLC owned by a Wyoming LLC. Got it. Um, and and that's the good way to do it. Understood. Now, Cal- yeah. yeah, California will say, well, geez, the Wyoming LLC, you're managing it from California, qualified to do business in California. And, you know, we do that because, you know, the penalty for not doing that is $12,000. So yeah. We, don't, yeah, we don't want to put our clients through that. Right. Um, what, uh, let, let's talk a little bit more about, I mean, we we're kind of talking about this corporate veil thing over and over without necessarily kind of diving it into detail. And that, that is the you know, topic, I guess, of your new book, right? Uh, veil, not fail. 
Got to um, hold it up, right? Yeah, there you go. Veil, veil not fail. And I'm sure as um, it's available everywhere, it's a part of the Kiyosaki series. It looks like it's a purple book, right? Right. And um, let's talk a little bit about that. What are the things that people need to know? First of all, let's talk about what is piercing the corporate veil. Um, and then let's, uh, and we can follow up with some questions on that. Okay, good. So piercing the corporate veil is a situation in which you have a corporation or an LLC and someone sues that corporation or LLC. They want to, they have a claim against it. They want to get what's inside the entity. Um, but the entity has no money. Uh, the, the entity, there's a judgment, but either people have transferred assets out of the entity improperly, or it just doesn't have any assets. And piercing the veil refers to the situation where with that judgment and the corporation having no money, the person with the judgment can say, all right, well, the corporation has no money, but I'm going to pierce through the corporation and go after the owners of the corporation. I want to get at their personal monies to pay this claim. And it's a pretty dramatic situation for you to, you know, you've set up this entity to be for protection. And then all of a sudden someone is barging through and going after your personal assets. And Buck, this happens in 50% of all cases. Mm -hmm. People are able to pierce the veil, go through the corporation or LLC and reach someone's personal assets. Now, why does this happen? Well, it's because they didn't follow the corporate formalities right? They didn't set up their entity properly. They didn't have minutes. They didn't have the stock certificates. They didn't pay the state. They had a personal account for their business. They commingled personal and mm -hmm. business monies. So there are a number of factors that can lead to the veil being pierced. And so that's why I wrote the book. It's the most overlooked issue in all of asset protection is uh, the ability of someone to pierce through the corporation and get at your personal assets. Uh, what, you know, you talked about a, a few of the more common things, but like, I mean, what, um, what are, when you talk about uh, people commingling funds or loans and transfers, like what do you see the most often that, that really weaken that corporate structure? Well, just failing to uh, follow the corporate formalities, you know, when you set up a corporate charter, mm -hmm. uh, you're making a deal with the state that you're going to follow these rules so you can stay protected. One is failing to pay the, the corporate filing fee. Right. You know, if, if you don't pay the state their fees, uh, you know, California, it's 800 a year. But if you if you don't pay those fees to the state, the state says we're going to, uh, you know, default you right. and your corporation will no longer provide protection. And so, you know, you really want to pay the state every year so you can stay protected. The state says, look, you have to have a meeting once a year. Uh, you know, it's not that big a requirement, but if you fail to have these meetings and it, this also applies to LLCs, there are a lot of promoters out there saying you don't need meetings for LLCs. The courts say otherwise. And plus, how can you run a business without ever having a meeting? I don't want to be in front of a jury saying I never had a meeting for 10 years. It just doesn't, business doesn't work that way. So you have to do the annual meeting. Uh, you have to 
uh, have a separate bank account. You have to file separate tax returns. That's part of the deal of getting the corporate charter is following the rules. And if you don't follow the rules in 50% of all cases, they pierce through the veil and get at your personal assets. So obviously that's the the bad scenario. And, um, but a lot of times it doesn't really get there, right? Because if you have a good structure in place, part of what you're really trying to do is make yourself, you know, repellent to lawsuits. Because as you mentioned, a lot of these attorneys are coming after you in, with contingencies. And if it looks really tough to get at your assets, you may not have to deal with the lawsuit at all. There could be a settlement. Correct. You want to put up as many real or perceived roadblocks as possible. So having title to the property in LLC is good. Uh, having Wyoming or Nevada holding entities for your other LLCs is good. Uh, having an umbrella policy of insurance and enough insurance on your real estate is good. We want to take these steps and to, you know, to dissuade the attorneys who are on a contingency, who have an incentive to sue. We want to dissuade them from ever thinking about suing you. If you have property right now, if somebody's listening to this and like, oh gosh, I shouldn't have put that in my, my name. What can you do, um, you know, after you've already invested, is it difficult to move things into other structures? Does that create any uh, weakening of that corporate structure? Just just curious on that, because I know a lot of people probably are thinking, well, gosh, now what do I do? So what you do is you set up the LLC, you transfer title with a grant deed or a warranty deed from your name into the name of the LLC. As long as you haven't been sued or threatened with a lawsuit, you are able to make these transfers. The problem arises when you've been sued. You know, right. you, you can't you can't put the seatbelt on after the accident. You know, you you have to have the entity, the LLC set up on title to the property. Then if you ever get sued later, you are protected by that LLC. Let's shift gears a little bit. Um, let's talk about something that else you've been involved with, uh, which sounds like a lot of fun. So you've kind of gotten yourself into uh, the movie business. Tell, tell how, how did that happen? Well, I've always been interested in movies and, uh, you know, when you're, when you're younger to get into the movie business, uh, just is, is kind of a dream. It's not something you do, right? Yeah. I, I went to law school. I became a lawyer. Yeah. Um, but my son is, uh, um, he's coming into the practice. He'll be taking over and, uh, I've become associated with some really good people in the movie business and, uh, we're starting to make uh, documentaries. Uh, we're in production on three documentaries right now. Uh, we're going to be doing a feature length kids movie in Kentucky in May. Uh, and you know, it's, it's a good business. There's a great need for content. Uh, you know, the, one of these documentaries, I look at it like a duplex. I mean, it's just something that can provide revenue yeah. uh, for a long period of time as well. There's some great tax advantages, uh, Buck, you section 181 of the tax code, you get to write off the cost of production in the year of production. So you, you get a, a an so immediate write off. So that's and, effectively like, you know, in, in real estate lingo, it'd be like taking the 100% bonus depreciation in the first year. First year. Yeah. Yep. But, but automatically, right? I mean, that's not, you're not uh, having to go through some code that's going to expire tomorrow or something like that. Well, this code does expire, but they always bring it back. Uh-huh. 
All right. So it's good for the next couple of years. Uh, also, if you film in a state like Kentucky or Georgia, they have a 30% rebate. And so you make a $400,000 movie uh, and that you get a rebate of $120,000. So with the tax write-offs and the rebates, uh, your risk goes from 100% to, you know, 40%. Um, And so, you know, there are advantages to film production and, you know, we're, we're, I'm learning them. Yeah. So it's been interesting. So talk, talk about if you would, you know, for people who've never, um, you know, invested in that kind of thing, how does this, how does it work typically? I mean, um, I mean, how do, how do investors, first of all, are most movies, these kinds of, are they mostly syndicated, um, types of things where you've got somebody raising capital and, you know, you make a movie and, and then you send it out to see how it does. Is that the way most movies work? Yeah, there's uh, syndication, and then you also have funds that come together uh, that are in the business of constantly making movies. Uh, so it, yes, money is raised from individuals through syndications. Uh, individuals come together uh, through an LLC. You know, five people come together through an LLC. So yeah, there is. It's it's just like real estate. Yeah. Um, you know. And then when people get you, you were talking about sort of residual income. So. How does that work um, in when when you're uh, invested in a movie? So it's just is there ownership of that for a period of time, um, forever or whatever, and then every you know. Well, our deals are the investors get uh, all the write offs, right, mm-hmm. and they get their money back plus fifteen percent, and then uh, from there on out, it's typically uh, you know fifty plus percent to the investors. Uh, 50% to the people involved in making the film, but the investors get all of the write-offs, all of the tax refunds and their money back plus 15%. Well, I guess, I guess my my bigger question is like, how does, I mean, how do the movies actually function in terms of like where the money comes from the box office, right? And then it's, you know, purchased by somebody else. Maybe it goes on Netflix. I'm just curious about the different, how the, streams of revenue work? Well, the streams of revenue, I mean, it used to be the theaters, but uh, that has changed significantly. And now a lot of it is just through streaming, uh, either a subscription service like Netflix, where they'll buy the movie from you and you really don't get much information on how many people are watching it. Um, so that that's a problem with Netflix. Um, you have these uh, free ad supported uh, channels now uh, where you will get either a flat fee or you will get a percentage of the ad revenue. Um, so there's there are new models that way uh, coming out. Uh, so there's there's just a lot of it. It's an interesting time, Buck, in the movie business, because all these new models are coming forward uh, because after the pandemic, people are not returning to the movie theaters. Yeah. Very fascinating stuff. That kind of business, um, is there asset protection type issues there that you need worrying about too? Like, you know, somebody accidentally shooting somebody on the set or something like that. <laughs> Not that that would happen, but. You know, I, I, I feel sorry for him. Yeah, I, I, I can't know. believe that was intentional. No, I'm um, sure it was. You know, I just really feel sorry there, but you know, you have to have insurance. Uh, the investors are protected because we're going to use an LLC or an LP and they're limited, their loss is limited to 
the amount they invested. Uh, so with and, and with all the tax deductions, you are going to get some significant benefits in the first year. But in terms of asset protection, you're a passive investor in an LLC, so you're not exposed to any sort of risk. Got it. Again, the the book itself, uh, the new book is called Veil Not Fail, available anywhere. It's Garrett and Sutton, Garrett Sutton. And Garrett, also tell us a little about some of your other resources. And I know, you know, you have Corporate Direct as well. Maybe ex- talk a little bit about that, all the things that you offer. Great. Well, Corporate Direct is our main business. We set up and maintain uh, corporations and LLCs in all 50 states. And maintain is one of the key words because you have to have that registered agent. We offer that service. You have to have the minutes done. Uh, We give you a book with all the templates on how to do it every year, but a lot of people don't do it. And so we offer a service whereby we will do the minutes for you. Um, We offer a free 15 minute consultation. If you wanna go to corporatedirect.com, you can sign up and talk to one of the incorporating specialists and see if there's a fit, see what our fees are, see if we can help you. Um, So that's our main business is just helping people set up the LLCs and corporations to protect themselves uh, in this litigious society. Good stuff. And if they want to get in touch with you for anything else, like uh, movies or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's great. Yeah, they can go to Corporate Direct and just send me an email at the Corporate Direct. And, uh, you know, if you are interested, um, we'll let you, uh, we'll send you the link to our our website um, for the, for the movies. Fantastic. Garrett Sutton, thank you very much for being on Wealth Formula Podcast. Thank you, Buck. Uh, Good to be with you again. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, so, you know, a lot of times people ask me kind of what, uh, what my structure is, and I would consider my structure pretty bulletproof because I don't really, I don't really own anything. You know, uh, that's the other, you know, thing about asset protection is very helpful that you can sometimes combine it with estate planning. So if you're planning to, you know, leave all of your, you know, assets to your children, eventually you can kind of just, you know, start that early and get it done. Now you can continue to control, but you know, you don't have to own anything yourself. So, and, and frankly, this is kind of the way that I've found most, uh, high net worth, sophisticated folks go, you know, they have their various uh, family dynasty trusts, um, and so on and so forth, stuff like that. But yeah, even within that, uh, even within those trusts, and I mean, it, as soon as you get out into that irrevocable trust space, you're, it's not, it's not you at all anymore. But on top of that, you can start protecting the assets of the trust with other LLCs it could be a holding company owned by the trust and then LLCs below that. You know, that's that's basically kind of what I do because people want to know, um, you know, what I do. But I, I don't think that's appropriate for everyone. I don't think it was appropriate for me, certainly um, a few years ago, you know, um, when I was starting out. So so anyway, that's what I got this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time.
Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.